NFTs do for product creation, something very similar to what social media did for content creation. So all of a sudden, democratize the access to the markets. And with social media, anybody could become a broadcaster. So I think NFTs in blockchain technology in general can do that. So I think long term, what is going to happen is that you're going to have younger, more dynamic brands emerging who understand culture and the, the nature of today's consumer better than anybody. And they're going to have the ability to enter the market immediately and reach millions of users. Welcome to the Bellwether Culture Podcast, a first of its kind podcast recorded in front of invite-only audiences of brand leaders, influencers, and artists. We feature amazing humans who have galvanized communities and continue to push culture forward, otherwise known as Bellwethers. I am your host, Pavan Ball. I am live over here at Unrevealed Miami during Miami Art Week at the beautiful Kimpton Surfcomer Hotel. And we are here with none other. I am excited to introduce you all to Marjorie Hernandez. Everyone give it up. Thank you, Pablo. Hi, everybody. My name is Marjorie Hernandez, and I like, I like building things. I, my education is in architecture, and since 2017, I'm an entrepreneur. And I started building my first venture. It's called Luxo. And our mission with Luxo was to bring blockchain technologies to, the, to power what we call the new creative economies. And we published a really beautiful white paper in 2018, which I invite everybody to read. And in 2020, I met my second business partner, Karina Grant, and we started this very beautiful venture called the Dematerialize, which is a digital fashion marketplace. Uh, they sell digital fashion products in the form of NFTs, and we try to bring as much uh, post-purchase utility for as users as possible. You already mentioned a little bit about who you are, what you're about. It started off in architecture, yes. I, if I couldn't tell by this beautiful shirt. <laughs> but it started off in architecture. Yes. So tell me about a little bit about your early professional journey. Amazing, yeah. So I went to school for architecture and I invest six years into that. I did my license and then I realized uh, architecture is very beautiful, but it's also a very slow paced profession. And the creative bit is just very short. And then you spend a lot of time dealing with a lot of like, I don't know, traditional like bathrooms and pipes and things like that. Um, so I realized I don't want to do that. And then I moved to Germany. Did you say bathrooms and pipes and things like yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Like indeed, you'd spend a lot of time uh, on that. My dad's a mechanical engineer. <laughs> I understand this. And then um, I moved to Germany. I did a second degree in media art. That's where I met my, my first uh, business partner, Fabian Vogelsteller, my co-founder at Luxo. And yeah, I... I did a degree between Weimar and an university in upstate New York. And yeah, since then I've been working, I started working with artists and creators in Berlin. And then slowly I started moving more into consultancy. I started, I was doing a lot of like brands. So how do you just get into consultancy? So I wanted, I was yeah. curious about Ernst & Young. So you're yes. at Ernst & Young for a bit and you're managing their innovation lab. Yes, I was. And this is for what types of companies? Like. What yeah, were you doing? Like traditional, gigantic German companies like uh, pharmaceutical, automotive, mechanical, things like that. And blockchain conversation started becoming part of like the business discussion. And then the innovation lab was more like a blockchain lab at that point in time. So digital transformation. So you hear this a lot. And like for me, I've covered yeah. retail companies for the yeah. last, let's say, eight years or so. Yeah. And digital transformation to me was always like, how do you make your 
supply chain more transparent? How do you make it more fluid? Tracking yep. inventory, tracking. Then it became omni-channel strategies, building yep. those in. That's what I knew of it yeah. from like 09 to like 16 or yep. so. So when did that transition of blockchain kind of creep into? Because I noticed this across the board. Yep. Almost every lab now is yeah. some sort of crypto lab, but yeah. as a and I feel really bad for the visual search and the AI tools and the all yeah. the other stuff that is tremendous. Yeah, but it's like stepchildren now. Yeah, blockchain when, is When hot. did that happen? Um, I think it started happening when Ethereum came into place because Ethereum, besides obviously having massive innovation and bringing smart contracts and all of the stuff and bringing blockchain technology above just financial transactions, but actually powering business logic through smart contracts, um, they also clean the reputation of blockchain technology. Because before that, people thought blockchain was just about shady people doing shady things in the internet. And all of a sudden, they start cleaning the reputation of blockchain. So around between 2015, when Ethereum first came, up, first came about, to 2017, kind of like was the moment when things really start moving, I guess, in like a more traditional uh, environment. Why make the leap from then what happened between Ernst & Young and then going on to co-found uh, Luxo? I mean, that's a, that's a huge project. Yeah, yeah, it, was, it is very ambitious. Um, I think what happened was my co-founder and I, we were, since the beginning, we were very close. I mean, obviously, he was part of the Ethereum Foundation, and we were very... Well, well to, to unfold that a little yeah. bit, and I don't want to stay on that too long, but yeah. uh, so Fabian, he, he wrote the script of ER20, which essentially now allowed for a lot of this uh, yeah. pathway for Yeah, he was, Fabian was basically that developer that was interfacing between the hardcore blockchain engineers and the rest of like the web developers. So he built a lot of the tools that actually make possible for people to interact with the blockchain. Um, and then he proposed ERC20, which was a tremendous, tremendous thing. Yeah, it became more creative. It became more approachable. No, well, what it did is basically that allow anybody to create value on chain. That's what happened, yeah. So with Luxo specifically, uh, you were yeah. there for a number of years, and then, I mean, you're still there, of yeah, course. Yeah. You're still co-founder. Yeah. However, dematerialized to me, which is the project that launched within the last two years yeah. for the fashion industry, yeah. seems like, like a go-to-market strategy for Luxo. Like, this is the use case. Like, what happened internally at Luxo? Did you, did you all say, look, we need a, an, a mega project that sees attrition to then yeah. everyone to notice like what we're doing here and how it could be applied to different industries. Well, I, I wish it was that, that um, thought through. It was not so much like that. We did this amazing, like I said before, in our white paper, we explore an array of use cases and um, the marketplace was one of them. And all of the tools that we were building at Luxo is to make it simple for creators to build stuff on chain. You know, I was very passionate about the whole kind of like micro trend back then around digital fashion and there were no marketplaces. And I was like, well, I would love to build one. But Fabian, my co-founder at Luxo was like, dude, we have too much work already. Like, let's, like if you find somebody who wants to build it, would you like be my guest? And um, that's when I met Karina and then we both decided very rapidly while having coffee in London they were going to do this and use kind of like the technology that Luxo is building to power our marketplace. So, so a little backstory, Karina and I, is how we, you know, you connected on this podcast, yes. which is excellent. I had her on the show a couple times before on Fashion Is Your Business. So it's exciting to see this come full circle, probably like a year after now. Yeah. Um, with, I guess, 
to take a step and to dematerialize and to unfold it to like get a little visual. Yeah. When you go onto the website, yeah. it seems like you took the approach of making it feel like Web3, but it is basically a, an internet, uh, like just a web page uh, front face, right? So anyone could, it seems like anyone could implement a similar feel. Is that what it is? Like you're building experiential kind of yeah, for, moments. For, yeah, definitely. For Karina and I, one of the things that we're super passionate about is to understand how can we purchase online in a way that is not just a grid. And our thesis was you shouldn't buy digital fashion the same way you buy books online. So we really want to challenge the notion of how those interfaces look like, how does it work, and that's kind of like what we're doing. So we really want to bring that sense of depth and more dimension into the interface for sure. So recently you collaborated with Rebecca Minkoff. She, yeah. Her and her company are extremely forward-thinking. Yes, I think I've had their team on at least three times. Oh, wow. Just talking about the first time it was like them releasing their smart mirrors, and that was like when everyone's like, oh, shit, yeah. smart mirrors, woo. And, and it was incredible back yeah. then, you know what I mean? But they've kept on trying. They've been at the forefront. and yeah. they, Their brand was built on innovation. Definitely. Can you tell me about what you just launched with them uh, very recently with Fashion Week and unlocking uh, the metaverse in, in the world for them there? Yeah, absolutely. I mean... Working with Rebecca and Uri is fantastic because they're really a wonderful duo. And I think the fact that they own their company and they have that agility to really implement really creative ideas. And both of them are very creative. So it's super, super cool. So we started the conversations around Rebecca. You know, we have a mutual friend and she, they reached out because she was very curious about what we were doing. And then we presented our work around digital fashion and our thesis around it and they immediately subscribed to that ethos. So what we did is that we took certain pieces from her collection called I Love New York, which she launched in New York Fashion Week last September, and we did digital versions of those garments and sold them on the Dematerialized. So they're really, really beautiful. They sold out really fast. For me, the more exciting stuff, like when I, I'm not, I have been reading, like everyone else, I've been reading about NFTs since, let's say, December was early and then January a lot yeah. and I kept on the sidelines and for me it didn't it didn't hit until I started seeing the utility behind NFTs yeah. and people rolling out strategies to galvanize community bake in rewards now I'm seeing implications on tracking uh, you know authenticating pieces and yeah. it's just incredible the vastness now that is ahead of us totally where do you see things, what are you most excited about now in terms of what is possible with yeah. connecting? Well, that's amazing. I think that the real power of NFTs is the fact that it's not only the fact that you're making a product transferable and transactable, but it's actually you are making a little pro computer program out of a product. So they go from being static things to dynamic assets. They can upgrade, they can do things, you can program things into them. So the fact that now we have these assets, they are dynamic and they exist in a virtual environment and that they are fully under control of the owner and that they are platform agnostic is something that is super, super powerful. So basically we are both, like we are empowering the creators because now they have the ability to go directly to market without an intermediary 
but we are also empowering consumers because they're actually, if you're buying a digital good or a digital good, do you actually own? And this is something that we didn't have before. So I think as we start spending more and more time in virtual environments and this vision for the metaverse becomes more tangible, the ownership of digital goods is super, super important. Have you been learning more about like, just like what the implications and like the utility can be from your customers and like just people that are just naturally picking up and experimenting? Like how much attention are you paying to the, like the natural user movements yeah. and, and figuring things out and, or versus pushing strategy? Yeah. Or, you know. yeah, I mean, we are, Karina and I, we spend a significant amount of time thinking how can we make these products even more and more exciting? Because we believe the NFT is the beginning of the journey. It should be as a user that's your first access point to an array of experiences, to an array of utilities, of entering a relationship with the brand or the creator, being your access to that community. So we really want to make sure that all of the NFTs, they are issued through the dematerialized obviously powered by Luxo, um, um, they have as much utility as possible. So it is, we believe the fact that they, you know, they can store value and they, they, you can speculate and you can trade them is one small portion of the whole journey. To give a, a like to kind of bring the lens out a little bit, can you give some examples like, you know, of what this means? So if we, if we go a little bit out of the trenches and say, let's just explain to somebody that's not an NFT is, what can be possible? I mean, for me, a good example is like Balenciaga, you know, going into Fortnite, right? That is an interesting use case of digital fashion that can now connect into Web3. Like, what, what are you seeing that are more kind of, let's say, the mainstream applications that are going to allow this conversation to progress and essentially your industry to move forward? Yeah, totally. Well, I think, obviously, when you have, like, established brands and established games start, you know, becoming participants into this cultural conversation obviously validates a lot of what we are doing. But I do think in terms of progression, I don't think the bigger brands are going to be the ones to actually dominate this market because I think NFTs do for product creation, something very similar to what social media did for content creation. So all of a the sudden democratize the access to the markets. And with social media, anybody could become a broadcaster. So I think NFTs in blockchain technology in general can do that. So I think long term, what is going to happen is that you're going to have younger, more dynamic brands emerging who understand culture and the, the nature of today's consumer better than anybody. And they're going to have the ability to enter the market immediately and reach millions of users. So I'm more interested on those guys. This is literally what happens. This happens on any fringe technology, right? The, when in 09, when I started consulting on digital strategy, it was Twitter. Twitter was the disruptor. It, it changed your marketing from like push, push, shout, shout on billboards, radio, and television to having a, like a conversation with your customer or a relationship with your customer. Big brands couldn't figure that shit out for their life. And that allowed a lot of brands, including Rebecca's, which was super fluid at communicating to their customer to like cut through the noise, right? Yeah, totally. So, but it does take those like larger established ones, those like big names to like be able to push. What I like about where we're at is that everybody in this environment appreciates the effort. So even if you're a large company, and I could understand like luxury being hesitant on e-commerce in 2008, right? But I, it's totally different this time. You can be a luxury brand or any brand or a huge brand, too big to fail brand, 
tries something in the NFT or the blockchain space, and like failure is fine. And that's what I'm really excited about this culture because I feel like it'll just fly mm. because of that. Like, I don't know. I hope that big brands will actually just well, I give think, it a go. I, I think they, there's no way they won't. I mean, if, if, if they don't do it, they will have, I mean, some of them might cease to exist and, or they're just, the market share will completely reduce. I mean, they, they will do it. There's no way around it. Like, the world has changed. When, so. when younger generations are looking to brands for inspiration and connectivity and they, they feel like they want to hold on to it, it's what is relevant to them. And if what's relevant to them is that, hey, they're in Web3 or they're publishing NFTs or I could rock their stuff on my avatar, those things matter a lot and they don't care if you fail. So whatever brands are listening to this right now, I feel like on my side is like, I, all I've been noticing on the conversations is like, yo, just go for it. You know what I mean? Like, I, th I think experimentation is, should definitely be allowed. I disagree though in terms of like, consumers thinking they care about Web3 and things like this. Obviously, there's a specific cohort of consumers that care about this topic. But, you know, you don't wake up thinking, oh, my God, my day is going to be so centralized. This is horrible. You know, this is not a problem that people feel they have. I think you need to just build products and experiences that are exciting and make sure that you are doing it with the right values. And I think this is something that people can subscribe to. And decentralized models represent that niche. When, when do you think that the internet goes from here to here? Any moment now. So to that point, then if you're not listening and testing and failing and doing it, you're going to be gone, left yeah, behind, bust. completely out of this. Yeah, or spend a fuck ton of money to catch up, right? Yeah. And both of those are fine, but you're going to have to do one of those two routes. So, I don't know. I'm, I'm curious about this. Um, you know, you're born and raised in Venezuela. Caracas. You are a woman in uh, blockchain. You don't mm -hmm. see a lot of uh, women leading the charge. You're part of the board, and I'm forgetting the name in, in Germany, that is leading kind of the, um, the blockchain association. Ah, Bundesblock. Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about that for a second. Yeah, yeah. I'm a member of the Bundesblock. So um, the Bundesblock is an association in Germany that we work closely with the government in order to, you know, advise in terms of policy around, around blockchain technology because it's a very important topic in terms of regulation. And obviously the regulators, they're not technocrats, so they don't understand necessarily what's happening and they're trying to regulate something they don't understand. So we do have a very capable group of people in Bundesblock basically doing that, that role for, for the German government. So going back to my preface, like basically my padding of my comment is that you are not only involved in the industry, you're very forward-facing early and pushing it forward. There's, there's not a lot of male counterparts around you. Even when I see what's going on in, uh, you know, around, uh, our, well, whether it's Miami Art Week or any NFT NYC, yeah. it's... I hate to say it, but it's a ton of crypto bros. Yeah, they are. Right? And so, like, how do you how do you fight? Like, not fight, but how do you position yourself yeah. and like not even stand amongst that, but cut through this yeah. noise? You know, yeah, like you say, I don't think it's it's a fight to fight. I think it's it's not a fight. I think it's just about you know. I think it's certain topics, certain things are more attractive for people who identify as males or for people who identify as females. So what we need to do is to create products, experiences, interfaces, things that appeal to both or to all because it's a gradient. Have so, you yeah. felt personally restricted? Um, no, 
No, I don't feel personally restricted. No, I don't feel personally restricted. I mean, what the, obviously it is, if you are in any environment and you are the only person who is different, either because of your gender, your race, whatever, you don't feel necessarily very comfortable, right? But I think this is not a problem of the blockchain space. I think this is a problem like almost in business at large. So, um, so I mean, I feel very, uh, you know, we, we're here at, right now, the stage over here unrevealed. We are at the Athletic Greens. This is the Athletic Greens wellness escape during the daytime. Ooh. As you could tell by the, the flags next to us. And what, what I'm curious about, we've been talking a lot during the week about um, what makes, you know, a high productive life, uh, meaning holistic Ooh. life. And I'm wondering what are some of your tips and tricks that you have molded or your routines oh. that have led to, let's say, being a fast performer? That's a really good question. Um, actually, when I started being an entrepreneur, I realized I started neglecting my health or my self-care or, or whatever, like quite rapidly because you get obsessed by your work because you're so passionate about it that your work becomes your life, right? It's every, and it's really difficult to, to draw the line. So what I have been trying to do a lot is like I start practicing Pilates and that has been fantastic. I try to do that. Um, I try to eat as healthy as I can and, you know, I just try to keep focus on the goal, that right? not get preoccupied with the small things. And something that really helps me in, in terms of stress management is that I know every day I'm, I'm doing the things that are my own decisions. So the fact that I'm building these ventures and then doing and then doing this amount of work is my decision. So I could technically stop making those decisions, but I still feel very excited about them. So that really helps in terms of stress management. What's next? For for Luxo, for dematerialized. So I guess, you know, for the dematerialized right now, what we have in our focus is just basically continue to build the marketplace, continue, you know, creating amazing interfaces you know, continue preaching to the people who need to be converted. Um, when, when you look back on these interfaces that are beautiful now in yeah. five years, what are you going to expect to say about them? <laughs> That's a really good question. I mean, I do think uh, technology at its best, and this is our ethos in both Luxo and the Dematerialize, is it's either beautiful or invisible, or ideally both. So I think, you know, right now we are still pretty much still experiencing the web in a two-dimensional environment, but I think it's going to be definitely a massive transformation in terms of interface design once things become more, more three-dimensional and they start, like, leaking into this reality. Yeah, so, yeah. Right now we're like Atari, Nintendo, maybe Commodore 64. It yeah, is like, kind of like but it's, it's cool. It's, it's that same energy yeah. of people that are building those technologies. It is true that bring it from 4, 8, 16, 32-bit, whatever it is, 64, yeah. you know? Totally. So that's really exciting. Uh, what type of people are you looking to connect with these days? And how, and what's the best way to connect with you? Um, the best way to connect with me, I mean, well, if somebody has my phone number, that's the easiest way. You can throw it out there, whatever <laughs> no, you like I'm to do. just joking. I think, you know, we are pretty active in social media, so the Dematerialize, we check our DMs all the time. I do check my, my DMs in Instagram and, and, and in Twitter, so you guys can follow us in the Dematerialize with an S, because it's the British spelling version. Um, and yeah, I mean, we are very, very active in social media, not so active in Telegram anymore. We're going, Luxo has a Discord channel where we are very active. The Dematerialize has a Discord channel. They're still private and we're going to make it public very soon. Oh. Thank you so much, ladies and gentlemen, Marjorie Thank Hernandez. You. Thank you, Papa.
so glad you sat in on this conversation. If you enjoyed this episode, I hope you'll share it with some folks. And if you'd like to join us at our next gathering of Bellwethers, go to bellwetherculture.com and apply for access. The opinions expressed by guests on this podcast are theirs and theirs alone, and not necessarily a Bellwether Culture and Mouth Media Network. Music